Bet365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. Their app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company and the app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please game responsibly. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton FC podcast. It's me, Greg O'Keefe, I'm with Paddy Boyland and we've been out and about this week uh, speaking to some Everton players down at Finch Farm. We spoke to Bernard and Paddy, uh, we were recording this on Thursday afternoon and Paddy yesterday went back to Finch Farm to speak to Alex Iwobi um, on the back of a return to the team for him at Wofford. Let's start with Iwobi. Um we were just chatting before we started recording, weren't we, about your impressions of him and, you know, what what did you make of him first and foremost? It was at a community event, wasn't it? Everton in the community. What was he like? Yeah, so so the context, and this will be become patently apparent when it's out on the site on Friday, the context was an Everton in the community showcase day where all of the first team, but also Carlo Ancelotti, Duncan Ferguson, Marcel Brands yeah. attended and took part in community activities. There were six different activities stationed around the indoor facility at Finch Farm and the plays were kind of divided up into different areas. It's quite quite funny really. I mean we had um there was a kind of a, a, a small game of football taking place right in the centre. And even before the players had signed the community pledge that they had to sign to um effectively just kind of devoting the services to the the initiative for another uh for another 12 months Luca Dean and Jabril Sadibi were joining in with the kids that were playing and it, that that got quite funny some some good tricks particularly from Luca Dean actually but then Richarlison gets involved and Richarlison is really competitive like even even against the kids really you could tell that he was still wanting to win yeah which is I, I suppose it it kind of shows uh, yeah yeah that, that kind of mentality that he's got that desire to win how old are these kids Young, we're talking primary school. <laughs> <laughs> or you like smashing them off the ball, kind of picking them up and stuff. And, and kind of, I mean, it, it, at one point he did, did this kind of brilliant scissor kick into the net and then celebrated it. So you could, it was really quite funny to see the players in that kind of environment. But um, obviously, we were down there to talk to them. Alex Awobi was with Leighton Baines and um, Tom Davis doing an activity with elderly military vet- veterans. It was kind of like a show and tell. Yeah. So if you imagine a show and tell, the veterans were bringing their old memorabilia, old artifacts and talking about them yeah. um, for the health and well-being session. And the um, the Everton lads were all there kind of joining in with it. So it, it was really good. It was really good spirited. Um, I thought the three Everton lads conducted themselves really well. And then we got some time to sit down with, with Wobie, like you mentioned. And quite, I wouldn't say he's like your stereotypical football. He's, he's a little bit... He's a little bit shy. He's a little bit shy. That's the first impression you get off him. And it's almost like, it, I, I, maybe I'm paraphrasing, maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but it's almost like what, I'm, I'm, I'm a normal person. I'm kind of maybe not somebody that deserves to speak so much about the things I've done and the things I've achieved. Right. Um, and he's only 23, 24? He's, o- he's only 23, yeah. He's only 23, but kind of a... The first impression you get is a physical one is that he's he's kind of quite stocky, he's quite well built. Yeah. You could imagine it would be hard to knock him off the ball, and it is for all intents and purposes. But a, a really nice guy, humble down to earth, 
and said some interesting things. And one of the things that occurred to me when we, we were speaking about the two players that we've discussed um, this week and we've had interviews with, they're almost now, from what they've said to us, competing for exactly the same yeah. position. They are, aren't they? Yeah. In the in the Everton squad, you think about it. Both of them now have, have spoken of, of this position just to the left of midfield. We're out of possession, they stick wide on the left, but in possession, they drift in field to become the playmaker, effectively. There's no number 10, so they become the playmaker. Yeah. And those two guys that we've we've happened to speak to are the ones battling out for that, yeah. that jersey. It's the same role, but they, they bring very different things to the party. They are there, very different, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It's almost, and all. It's difficult to say who who you prefer in theory. I would probably go Bernard just because um, I think technically, you could argue he's the better footballer. But in terms of the overall package, the physical side, and he's a good technical player as well. There's no no shortage of finesse with a Wobie. Um, perhaps we've seen a little bit more consistency from Bernard. Albeit he's not even the most consistent player. Um, He's done more things that have made me sort of sit up and applaud during his time at Everton. But he's had a lot longer at Everton than Iwobi. Um And Iwobi's obviously had a couple of injuries, the, the most recent one that's meant we haven't seen all that he's got. So um, different, but then similar as well. And, and it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see like who wins that battle, if you like. Um, or as Ancelotti has already sort of suggested, he's, he doesn't mind the idea of rotation. Is it going to be a bit of a horses for courses where... You I know, think so. Bernard's more suited to games of Goodison, isn't he? You'd imagine, so. rather yeah. than being away against bigger, phys- more physical sides like Wofford. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Bernard comes in at home against Palace on Saturday no. and Iwobi's on the bench. No, neither would I, actually. And There are differences, but there are also similarities. You point out both of them have the technical ability to play as a number 10, as yeah. this kind of inverted midfielder where they can come inside and create things. I don't know about you, but I always feel a little bit disappointed when I'm deprived of the opportunity to watch Bernard from the outset. Yeah, that's it, what I mean, yeah. He's that's one it. of those players, and it t- takes nothing away from Alex Awobi because I think he's fully deserving of an opportunity in an yeah. Everton jersey too. But sometimes just the stuff that Bernard does on the football field, you don't see many other footballers do. No. And we, we, we spoke, didn't we, a few weeks ago about the skill yeah. against Brighton, I think it was, yeah. where he managed to manoeuvre himself round the defender in a really tight space and, and create a great chance for, for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You wouldn't see Alex Awobi do that, but you would see Alex Awobi do other things. And and actually, I thought it was really good that Everton had him and a few others back. Obviously, Richarlison was back as well, which, yeah. is, which is a big boost. Yeah. But immediately, three guys come back into the first team fold and Everton look an awful lot streng- stronger. I was looking at the bench and thinking, there's Bernard here, the... There's um, Moyes Keane. There's so many different ways that Everton can change this up now. Yeah. And they've got defensive strength on the bench too. So it, it is going to be fascinating, these two guys battling it out for the, the same position. Like you, I'm not sure we see one definite confirmed winner at the end of the process. I think we'll not kind yet. of see yeah. the two of them battling it out and it will be the horses for courses approach that you've um, you've mentioned. But what's really, really interesting is that when writing the piece and when speaking to Alex, I was kind of looking for links between the activity he was doing and his career so far. So you've got the veterans here and the veterans are showing things from their life that stand out as kind yeah. of key tangible moments. So one of my first questions to, to Awobi was, if you were doing a similar session right now, what would you what would you look back on? What would you bring um, as, as kind of career highlights? Good question. And he, um, 
it, it, it was it was telling. It wasn't an Everton moment because he's only been. Yeah, you forget course. that he's only been yeah. at Everton now for six months, and probably for two or three of them, he's been injured yeah. with with differing injuries. Um, in a side that when he was in the in the in the frame anyway and and fit, what wasn't performing particularly well. But he spoke wonderfully of that. There's a moment for Nigeria back in 2017 against Zambia where he scored the winning goal to send them to the World Cup um, at home. I think it was in Lagos, but I'd need to double check. And he scores the winning goal, sends them to the World Cup, and he runs away and he sees his mum and dad in the crowd and they're jumping up and down. He says it's the most emotional he's ever felt on a football pitch. He's never felt like crying over football, but that was the one moment that did. So he runs away and celebrates with his teammates, and he comes back, and his mum and dad are still jumping up and down in the crowd. And he said that that was quite overwhelming, the emotion of that. And uh, the, the next logical question was, what's the best moment in your in your Everton career so far? And actually, he went for... That's quite a nice segue. So, so Saturday against Watford. Well, you're asking me then. Yeah. Probably when, we, when my dad goes, yeah, Reggie piece it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, I gave it a, th- a thumbs up. And it's probably about the equivalent of my own dad jumping up and down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. Well, mine would be exactly what the same. What did he answer about the Everton moment then? Well, he said he said Saturday against against Watford, and here's the nice segue because he said that. I mean, the phrase was it, it felt like we'd won the World Cup the way we were celebrating together, and it was just I, I loved it because I just thought it, it showed a team and a fan base and a coaching staff that were almost all in sync. You had kind of the substitutes ran down the sidelines. Iwobi himself still nursing a little bit of a hamstring complaint. He'd been substituted as a precaution. <laughs> Legs it down the, the sideline yeah. with, with Gilfie Sigurdsson after the goal goes in. Theo yeah. Walcott's goal goes in. You had a fan jump on the pitch. Duncan Ferguson was out of the dugout on the pitch. Of course he was, yeah. The fans kind of all pile into the front in the way they do. And those celebrations, I think it was just this kind of moment of release for an Everton side that had um had obviously been on the other end of the um Well there haven't there's not been a season a wash with moments like that, has it? So, you know, we're, we're long overdue a little bit of a, a nothing like a late winner either. Especially not when you've got ten men. No. No. You know, fantastic scene really. Well it was against it was against the odds. Just a bit. In a in yeah. a number of ways and yeah. Not just because of Fabian Delph sending off, which I actually thought was quite harsh. Personally. Yeah, I thought it was harsh too. I, th- I thought it was naive of, a, of an experienced player, but it was a very harsh second booking. Yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd only committed, as far as I was aware, two fouls, in quotation marks. Both, yeah. I think you'd probably argue on the basis of the two that he gave away, he was probably worthy of, of a yellow, but not two yellows. And normally, maybe this is old school of me, but I always think that you, you commit your first foul and it's a yellow, and unless it's something really cynical or really late, you're given another foul's grace. Yeah, you get a war- the un- unwritten rule, if you like, is you there was get no a warning, warning, as in you're on, a, you're on a yellow card here, yeah. another one on them and you're off. There was no warning. But he, he's a bit like that, isn't he? Um, that referee, and he do, he's a bit card happy. He is, he is. So, that was a worry before the game, I yeah, think, as well, so wasn't that, it? again, speaks of a little bit of uh, uncharacteristic... Not immaturity, but just uh, a lapse in in sort of logic, I think. And the play wasn't going anywhere. That that's what frustrates me about it. He wasn't really going anywhere. The ball, if anything, was going to go out, and he didn't have to. I applaud him wanting to win the ball, but it wasn't a key for me. It didn't look like a key area where it had to be won at all costs. So I just felt it was rash. It was a rash thing. To I think do. I think it what probably was a little bit rash looking back at it. And the first yellow card, he actually wins the ball. But it's this kind of scissor motion afterwards, which endangers a player. 
And I think in the past, we'd have, like certainly my dad's generation, would have looked at and said, oh, he's won the ball, it can't be a foul. But we know now you can win the ball, but you can also really hurt someone. So you've got to, you've got to be careful with what you do. I, do. I think it was harsh, but I mean, Everton had had to come back from two goals down um, in this kind of remarkable last minute of injury time in the first half. Two goals from Yeri Mina and the set piece delivery on points to an extent that I've not seen in a good while, really, and not just one individual. It wasn't like just Luca Dean or just Gilfie Sigurdsson. Both of them were firing fantastic crosses in, um, utilizing finally utilizing Yeri Mina's aerial ability. Should be in double figures, yeah. and I'm not don't mean to sound churlish because it's brilliant that he's finally off the mark this season with his two there. But he really should the amount of chances he his own. Uh, presence creates it could be a Lescott season really yeah. uh, maybe, maybe that's something that's going to happen down the line when he gets his eye in or maybe now his eyes in and we can expect more from him we should do you know it's not asking a lot I'm not expecting him to be able to finish a striker's range of finishes but you know he's some headers he's had he really should have done better with so let's hope the second one was a good header albeit awful marker from Cathcart but you know that's what it's like when you've got a six foot five six foot six a unit in in the area, and and if the set piece is right, which hasn't always been in fairness to him this season either, um, it's going to cause problems. Yeah, I, I think he should have already notched a few more goals this season. There were a few chances that that stand out as being kind of glaring misses from him, and even last season at Anfield, I think he missed a really good one against. Yeah, it was a big big chance though. against Liverpool at nil nil. He's definitely got that in his locker, and we remember it obviously very effectively for. Colombia in in the World Cup against yeah, England. Yeah, when most of us first heard of him, really. And it, it it was yeah, and he's he's definitely got that in his locker. He's got he he's getting in good positions, but he just hasn't been connecting with the ball right. And it's curious, isn't it? That that was by no means the easiest chance he's had this season. No. That second goal. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it was quite difficult to to kind of crane his neck, put it into the far corner, but also generate enough speed to take it past defenders and and the goalkeeper. But a great a great goal, and that obviously gave Everton a huge boost and. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, I spoke to Theo Walcott after the game in the mix zone. <laughs> and one of my first questions to him was, what was said at half-time? You, you went in at 2-2, but what was said at half-time? Because it wasn't a great performance, but yet you were back in it. He said, it, it's it's funny how you guys see things. Um, I think we were all right for the first 20, but just kind of the goals got to us. And uh, I mean, I still kind of stand by what I was what I was saying. No, I, th- I disagree with him. I think they were pretty poor in the first half and then much better after after the break. They were in, in terms of ball retention and obviously my end, my piece, my match piece from the game ended up being a lot different to what I'd envisaged after 40 minutes because if we're being honest, you, you looked at the game and you thought, this is an example of where Everton needs to strengthen. In the middle of the park, in terms of composure on the ball, but also in terms of that drive and ability to win the ball back, Watford just looked bigger physically. They just well, looked Decore more efficient. Was running the show, wasn't he? Decore and and Chalabar and and Capoue. That's a big, yeah. powerful midfield. Everton have struggled against it in the past, yeah. even when Idrissa Gay was around. But that kind of three in there against R two, one of whom's not really a central midfielder in Sigurdsson's case. It seemed like a bit of a mismatch and kind of boys against against men, almost to an extent. But there is a lesson here and it's that in the face of that adversity and even not playing particularly well at times, Everton still managed to grind out that win, overcome the setback of Newcastle, which is obviously a big mental hurdle and kind of put a lot of these unnecessary unwanted records to bed 
that it accumulated under Silva and and successive other managers. Um, so it, it 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 felt big Saturday. Um, it did. It did feel like a bit of a potential um, watershed, didn't it? Yeah. You know, if it, it's difficult to say without being able to look back. You know, we'll, we'll have a better idea in May, obviously. But just on goals as well, and getting back to uh, our two left-sided friends, Bernard and, and Iwobi, one thing I would say that they both need to do is increase their contribution in terms of goals. Um, you know, the, the, especially Iwobi, but you know he's been here less less time. I don't think Bernard ever had a reputation as being um, prolific, but he does need to score more. He needs to, you know, he gets these fantastic opportunities, and, and he's more of a creator, and he's brilliant at that, but... They need to in a modern game. Wide players need to chip in, um, and on on Bernard as well. Just kind of interesting when you explain a Wobie. Bernard was a similar character in some ways. Then it, it you know f- the first thing to notice is that whereas you you're talking about Wobie's stature physically, um, it's obvious Bernard's a smallish guy, isn't he? And I'm, I'm not exactly a, a six footer myself, but you know he he was he's about what is he about five foot five so he's quite a bit smaller um and my first thought was his tracksuit training top almost looked too big for him <laughs> and i'm just thinking like this underlines how brilliantly this guy is poise and technique the fact that he's even a, a premier league footballer because to look at him unlike him over you think it'd be easy to smash off the ball and of course, that's not the case. He does win a lot of free kicks because sometimes players just can't deal with his his, his swift feet and and his ability to turn inside spaces. But um, yeah, it's just that's what I love about football. I guess the the range of for a team sport, unlike say rugby, which we both quite like as well, um, the sort of the range of variety in body shapes and and differences. So, um, but he was he was a great guy. He was really uh, really upbeat, which was kind of the way I went into the piece. Just full of smiles, very kind of straightforward, very relaxed, um, and just seems to be loving it. Really, he, he spoke through a translator, um, and although he understood most of what I was saying, I think, um, and as he explained himself, he does. His English is getting on really well. Certainly better than Richarlison's and Yerry Mean is. I think he gives he gives a few of them pointers, doesn't he? Yeah, he Particularly does. Particularly Richarlison. He helps Richarlison, yeah, well, obviously been with the Portuguese, yeah. Um, and he was saying about Richarlison, he was just sort of saying, you know, sometimes we're knackered after training and he wants to just go home and I almost have to remind him, you know, now you've got to stay, do your lessons. Is he the Brazilian dad? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> the Brazilian yeah. dad in the camp. That's an un- unconventional family unit, isn't it? Like, well, it, it's a bit of a mad <laughs> one with little Bernard as the yeah. dad and then Richarlison. Rich, get back here. Get <laughs> Richarlison into, and Yerry Mina. You know, get the, into the classroom, you two. As the kids. Well, I, I, was, I was a Finch farm a few days after you. That's right, yeah. And I yeah. saw the, the, the translator, he was he was there again, and we, we were talking about your piece, and it was overheard by one of the secretaries. Yeah. And they were saying, oh, they always come in, those two, me and Richarlison and Bernard, and they say, hi, love, how are you doing? And it's, just, it's quite funny to, to, to oh, hear in English. They, uh, yeah, how yeah, they're picking yeah. up those little bits of uh, They are, they, no, they are. And um, I think, if anything, the only reason that Bernard used the translator for ours is because he a translate. I don't think he meant he's shy, but he said I'm a little shy in terms of, I guess, less confident in expressing or articulating what I want in like a longer form interview. So um, he's thoughtful, isn't he? He he did. He really thought about his answers, and yeah. uh, I enjoyed it. It was good to spend some time down there with him, and and you know, as you found with Iwobi, you come away thinking, I really hope that they can make it work here. And both of them have got great a great chance of doing it. It's a shame one of them isn't a bit more right footed as well. So. That, I'd love the idea of and this is nothing against Walcott, but what both of them playing at the same time? If you like, you know, uh, maybe 
maybe a Wobie on the right and Bernard on the left. Uh, we might we might see it if say if a side came to Goodison and was ultra defensive and was effectively just camped out on the edge of the box. Yeah. You might see the need for kind of two inverted wingers with the full backs bombing on in that kind of scenario. I just think in terms of balance, the best case scenario is always have to like have one winger coming in. Yeah. And another one, at the very least, attempting to fly past the opposite fullback, and that's what Walcott gives you. But it's definitely the case that Everton have got kind of two really good options on the left, and not enough in terms of depth well, Brand, on the right. Brand said that at the AGM, didn't he? And you can see now in four four two what what he's where he's coming from. Um, it it's, the thing is, they talk about giving Anthony Gordon game time, and you think about it that you know we're out of the both cups. We're now effectively, which is fantastic, in theory, bidding for a top six place. And it's like, well, the next games after Saturday, like Arsenal, United and Chelsea, and not in that order necessarily, but those three sets. So when's Anthony Gordon going to get this game in time? Um, when is going to be a good time to throw on a really inexperienced, albeit exciting, raw talent? I'm not sure he'll get the time that, that we all hope to see. But you're right, you know, maybe against a side less attacking-minded who might come to Goodison and set up for a draw. He might get, you know, your 15, 20 minutes, 10 minutes here and there coming off the bench, but we'll see. He's unlucky, isn't he, in the sense that he is also somebody that is right-footed and likes to come inside onto onto that right foot from the left. Um, Not necessarily a midfielder as such. I think you've got to allow him to play in that final third. Got to, allow him to carry, yeah, got, to, yeah. got to allow him to carry the ball. I suppose he could play on the right at times. And he, like Walcott, he is pacey. So he could give you an option in behind. So maybe maybe he's the second choice or, or third choice option on that right at this moment in time. I still kind of think that we'd almost see Jabril Sidibe playing right midfield before we'd see Anthony Gordon at this moment in time. Particularly away from home, say, against an Arsenal. Yeah, I think it's experience, isn't it? It's uh, physical, um, the physicality. Um, and yeah, that's that's a little bit sobering, really. Nothing against Sidibe. Uh, but just, I think you're right. Um, and that's what I, what I was getting at, really. It's hard to see when he gets the chances. But all he can do, if, you, if you'll refrain from calling the cliche police, is when he does come on, Give everything he's got and make an impression, and he'll, that it should, in fairness, justify more trust from the coaches and more time on the pitch. Um, he hasn't got the ability to to do it in in cup games, but what he what he probably almost certainly has got is next season, uh, barring a decision to send him out on loan to like you know a, a top side in Europe or whatever, uh, he'll be in the first team squad. So he'll do a full pre season and. Uh, you know, maybe he'll get chances from there, but that's not a guarantee because let's not forget Ancelotti is going to want to do some spending in the summer as well. And you'd imagine he's going to look at, you know, talent, elite level talent, maybe players he's managed in the past or players he's identified as coming in and, and turning us into the type of side that competes for honours. So, um, but that, that's another topic, isn't it? The ability for young players from the academy to break into the team. Um, not easy. We were talking now about Iwobi. Who Do you think it'll be Iwobi who'll get the nod again? Or are you with me thinking it might be Bernard who starts on Saturday? I'm probably 55-45 that it's, it's Bernard mm. for that particular game. I think he will continue to chop and change depending on the opposition, depending on where they're playing the game and the respective fitness of the two players. And obviously, Bernard's had his own fitness issues too. Yeah. But Iwobi's only just come back from the hamstring injury 
And the way he described sprinting down the touchline to me before then remembering that, he, Did needed, he, say that? he needed to be careful. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, he's an extra week along in that rehabilitation, but I still think they need to be slightly careful with him as he comes back. Um, like, like we're saying, though, whichever way it goes on Saturday, you're pretty safe in the knowledge that there's a decent conundrum there for Ancelotti and that in certain other positions as well. There are, there are players that have cemented spots. I think of Mason Holgate at the back. I think of Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front. Moise Keane coming off the bench, another really good option. It's just that central midfield. It's just that central midfield yeah. that I look at and I just think, I know that I know that they've been unlucky with injuries and, and Andre Gomez yeah. is on his way back, yeah. potentially for, for Arsenal or being well. But they just look a little bit light in there. That's the one position, if somebody had said to me, here's a six-month loan for a really experienced player, say Vecino, for example. We said this, didn't we? Yeah. 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 If, if we, if, if, that kind of option on the cheap, had presented itself just as a stopgap until the other players came back. That's the one area to look down. Going up, I'd bite your hands off for that. I can, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, West Ham did a bit of business, didn't they? And on loan as well, coming in, um, was it Suchek? And um, you, you wonder why Everton in the end decided to keep the powder dry. Maybe the feeling was the the head of uh, schedule progress of Gomez, I think, meant that they. You know why rush and bring someone in on on big wages uh, when you can just bank on on Gomez coming back. The only thing I would say about it's absolutely unbelievable news about Gomez coming back into the team. My only concern would be, and this is definitely not to kind of be a glass half empty. It'll be superb. But players who've been out with serious injuries will often come back. They'll give you two games and then they'll they'll be injured again with it. Not the same injury but an associated problem, which is largely down to lack of Premier League football, which can't be replicated in, in, in a rehab clinic or on, a, on training pitch. And then they'll be out another couple of games and then they'll be back in and they might miss another game. So you can't hang your hat on him being available for every game in the run-in from Arsenal, in my opinion. We've well, there's seen also that in match the past. fitness, isn't there? There's and, also the yeah, issue of course, of, match fitness. I mean, let, let's say, for, for the sake of argument, that Andre Gomez was fit for the Arsenal game. Yeah. Would you throw him... In from the start against Arsenal, I wouldn't. This is it. Um, difficult. I don't think I would. Not no. from the start. You might bring him off the bench. For you kind of bring 10, him off the bench, I think, wouldn't you? 10, yeah. 20 minutes. That would seem a bit extreme. to. Th- <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because remember when we did our piece on Andre Gomez and yeah. what the rehabilitation yeah. and the surgery would involve? Remember speaking to specialists about the point that you referenced there? This idea of players coming back but being susceptible to other injuries. And it, it's basically because he'll adapt to putting stress in different areas. Yeah. Areas that haven't been used to having that kind yeah, of stress yeah, before. Yeah. And it just opens up the potential if, if they're getting overly exerted, those those muscles and and the, and the bones and other things. Yeah. There is the chance. Well, that's it. Your body compensates, doesn't it? So there might be a natural inclination for him not to move his ankle in a certain way in the early days that might put stress on different joints um, and you know without trying to be an armchair sports scientist or phys- physiotherapist it can it can lead to re-injury and we've seen it with James McCarthy we've seen it with Seamus Coleman um, but on the flip side both of those are, are still playing at the, at the top level and of course we'll see James McCarthy in central midfield probably on Saturday um, I was disappointed it didn't work out for him I never thought he was a with, with respect, because he's a cracking lad and a really effective player at his best. Never thought he was brilliant, but uh, alongside Barry in that midfield that you, you and I were reminiscing about the other week, 
I thought he, you know, at his best, he was really effective, especially at winning the ball back and, and giving it to more um, visionary players around him who could, you know, set attacks going. So it'd be good to see him back. I'm sure he'll get a really warm, warm welcome. I believe Cheng Tosin won't be able to play, will he? Uh, he won't be able to play, but he's also nursing his own injury at the moment, which isn't he? which makes you think as well. Yeah, it does make you think. So Palace obviously having to take a hit on that one wages, and you know it was just a good bit of business getting him off the books. Really, I think I think there is some kind of clause where if he's out for any extended period of time, Everton would be liable to pick up the the cost of of the medical bills and stuff like that. I think that's written into I'm sure that'll be a drop in the ocean compared to 100 grand a week wages, though, but it could well be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could well be. I mean, yeah, you've got a few subplots there, haven't you? The, the player that will return, we would have thought, in a Crystal Palace shirt to Goodison, but the one that won't. Um, I don't necessarily think at this moment in time that Everton are missing either of those two guys, no. but they could well be missing 20, 13, 14 James McCarthy. In, in a sense that, I mean, you think about what he gave to the side with Gareth Barry. First of all, it was a really complimentary partnership. It was, yeah. Second of all, he would always use the ball, in terms of keeping hold of possession, he would always use the ball well. He, he, he knew how to find the blue shirt, but he covered gaps, he was really quick. Yeah. Martinez used to refer to him as a sprinter, didn't he? Yeah. And effectively, he, he was saying, oh, well, he can mop up, he can go side to side, and he can get to wherever we need him to go. I remember thinking, that, like, there was a goal against... Manchester United, Everton won, was it the 3-0 where they won? And he just went steaming through the middle of the field, almost like a racehorse or Forrest Gump. <laughs> I want to use another one. <laughs> Got on the end of it and scored. And I remember thinking, like, he's pretty hard to stop when yeah. he gets going in those kind of positions. No, he was. We didn't see him in those positions too often. Though. No, we didn't. And, you know, I think he had a very defined uh, and um, prescriptive role under Martinez. And it was, like I say, to compliment Barry as you said and get the ball to the more creative players at like Dale you and you know, so on and so forth Ross Barkley of course yeah because there were a sort of lot of players who were comfortable going forward but you're right that was a side to his game we hardly ever saw but it was a fantastic sight against United what I would say is then quite often when he'd be in advanced positions um he'd be disappointing in his final ball I thought and that was one of his limitations where you, when you looked at what you hoped for players like Morgan Schneiderlin uh, and Fabian Delph, you hoped that they'd be better in in sort of on the front foot as well. And, you know, that's very debatable, really. So, yeah, it's a good, good shout out. I reckon a 13, 14 um, McCarthy, based on what we had at, at Wofford, gets, into the gets side. in that side. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh, like I say, I'm sure you'll get a good reception. Um, just before we wrap up... Uh, <laughs> One of us. Well, we may well end up doing doing something around this. So I won't go too much detail. But obviously, Zaha is probably going to be there uh, in the opposing red and blue on Saturday. And he's a player that Everton did covet. Um, he's going to be unarguably their key man, isn't he? Stop him, and you've got a good chance of stopping Palace. Yeah, he's the, he's the main attacking threat. Um, really good going both ways. Really, he's one of those guys. I think if you see him approaching as a fullback, you're not sure whether he's going to come inside on his right foot or he's going to go past you and look to cross the ball with his that left. That must be a nightmare for a fullback, must well, it? It's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? Because if you've got if you've got a guy that just comes in field, very quickly you know how to you just block that avenue and show them on, on the, the outside, on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With somebody like him, I think you have got to be ultra careful because he's got the pace and power to go past either way. Obviously Everton did they caught him and it, it, it's kind of you hope it's not Saturday's not a glimpse of what you could have had in that sense. But the, the interesting thing here is that, I mean, we've spoken about Alex Awobi. Alex Awobi happens because 
Wilfred Zaha and a few other deals don't come off. And that, that was a late opportunity that Everton seized upon for a, for a good, versatile player from Arsenal. For, I mean, 28 million, there or thereabouts as an initial fee. Not kind of an eye-watering sum in today's market. Um, and I'm pretty convinced Iwobi will prove his worth at Goodison from, from some of the early signs. But that being said they do still lack a player like Zaha. I mean, we've spoken there, haven't we, about the need for a winger to go past the opposition. But you've also mentioned how we need more goals yeah. from some of the guys out wide. Now, that was Theo Walcott's first Premier League goal of the season, I think, against Watford. It was. Bernard scored a couple. Iwobi has scored a couple in all competitions. And then you've got a couple of guys at the top end of the pitch in Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin who are both into double figures. Yeah. That's great. But you need somebody in the middle. You need a spread. Yeah, you yeah. need a central midfield who will top up at some. And you know, you, I hate to say, but look at Liverpool. You know, there's goals pretty much all throughout that team, isn't there? Well, you need you need both fullbacks contribute. The defenders contribute. Mina's obviously off to a start. Henderson will have a go, um, and then obviously across the front three, it's it's uh, goals are plenty. But I think we've just got two goal scorers at this moment in time. Two kind of one in two, one in three guys. And what you need is you need a, a central midfielder tri- chipping in and at least one of your, your wide players. Now, if you imagine this alternative reality where Everton get Ducore and Everton get Wilfred Zaha, immediately you've got those two pieces of the puzzle, haven't you? Because I think Ducore probably guarantees you about six or seven goals in a Premier League season, mm. playing as a number 10 now for Watford, actually. And then Zaha, probably 10, mm. 10-ish. 10 goals a season at yeah, his best. That's in a, that's in a sort of mid-table side. So, you know, with better players around him. Not not saying Everton are light years ahead of Palace in, in, in a disrespectful way, but, you know, with Gomez and, and you know, as you say, in fantasy football, to him to Corey and Yeah, that would be some, some side there. You know, it's... Uh, it would, yeah. Yeah, it would be some team. Who knows? It's, it's the stuff... It, it, they are the elements Everton are missing though, aren't they? They are. And that's it. And of course, you know, we've got to remember Dominic Cavalloon's a young player but he can only get better. Um, and Richarlison is a little bit older, but not much, actually, and is really coming to the fore. Um, we've written a piece, which if you haven't read it yet, it's worth checking out. Paddy and I looked into that phantom bid for uh, Richarlison from Barcelona, and we did a piece analysing, I suppose, where it's come from, whose interest it was to get a story like that out. Um, and the ramifications for it going forward. I think one of the things that we both sort of uh, understand from our sort of research into it is that certainly in the short term, he, he's, he's going nowhere. He's not a player that Everton are looking to sell, nor do they have to, uh, which is good news because, again, that goal at Wofford, I think he was absolutely instrumental, his energy and his work rate and ability to drive the ball forward. Um, and then the really cute pass as well, I think, you know, instead of snatching at a shot, which he might have done last season or season before, it was it was the vision to maturity to lay the ball off and that resulted in the goal. Quite a thrilling prospect, actually, when you watch it back and you see those guys kind of galloping forward. Yeah. Richarlison leading the way, Moise Keane keeping pace with him and then Theo Walcott at the back post. And anybody that's read my piece on The Athletic after that Watford game will, will know that Walcott was cramping up about 10 minutes earlier and he was speaking in the mix zone about how he kind of just he thought, right, I've got to go for this. I've got to see if I can get on the end of it. 
he's been working in the gym extra hard to keep up with those guys because those guys are quick and they're physical and, and all that kind of stuff. And it paid off in that moment. Really good counter-attacking goal. And he's a lot older than those guys as well. Well, he is. He's, he's starting, you would say, to come to the end of his career, whereas those guys have got everything to look forward to, really, if you think about it. But all three of them, fantastic on the counter-attack. Everton should score more goals like that away from home, I think. Um, the less said about Moise Keane's air shot, the better. But um, it resulted in a goal. And um, the idea of Moise Keane coming on and stretching defences in that way late on, with Richarlison also chipping in, is, 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 a, is a great prospect to have. I just Richarlison didn't do anything, really, for 75, 80 minutes or more. At Vicarage Road, he was the kind of the pantomime villain in the absence of, of Marco Silva. But he showed up when it mattered. That one moment, Everton are down to 10 men. Even if you just take that ball into the corner and le- alleviate some pressure and get the draw, you've still done your job for the team. But he's, he's only got his eye for the goal. He's tearing towards the goal. Lovely ball in field. And, and Everton score a, a, a winning goal. It was just, I, I thought he... I, it showed again. It showed again the importance of him to the team. And he was one of the ones giving it the big one, wasn't he? Yeah, to, to the away end afterwards. I don't think there was any thought in his head about Barcelona at that no, moment no, in time. No, no, it didn't look like it. Just before we wrap up on pantomime, I implore you, if you haven't seen it, to search on Twitter for the Watford fan being interviewed about Yerry Mina's celebration. It's great. Saying, uh, I don't know if it was mock you know, indignant or he was actually really was indignant. Um Let's just leave it there. Say comedy gold. He wasn't very happy with Mina celebrating a goal. Funny enough, no. by it by dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Save it for the nightclubs was one of his one of his uh, one of his lines. Really, wor- really worth having a look for <laughs> on Twitter. Um, right, Pad. Thanks very much, as ever. Yeah, been good. Always enjoyable. And let's hope for another really important three points. Like we said earlier, the the game is on the horizon. If we can get the win against Palace, we can set a platform. Uh, even like uh, you know a, a win and a couple of draws or you know sort of four points from those next three fixtures and we're taking points off teams around us who are trying to also get in that top five top six so um, yeah exciting time on the horizon thanks very much for listening and keep tuned on next week I look out for our piece after the game on the athletic on sunday or monday morning <laughs>